This is Lisa Miller and Associates, Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. Now, here's Lisa Miller. Welcome, friends. A group of three independent insurance adjusters has created quite the stir in Florida's property insurance market. They have accused insurance companies of routinely altering their damage claim reports, removing sections, changing the wording, and reducing the claim payout estimates by as much as 80%. Even worse, the field adjusters say it was all done without their knowledge or approval. In some cases, the field adjusters say their names were kept on the reports as if they had authored the final version. They're accusing insurance companies of cheating policyholders out of rightful claim payouts. The Florida legislature has responded this spring in part by passing Senate Bill 7052, the governor signed recently. It requires that any altered or amended insurance adjuster's report include the following three elements, a listing of all the changes, the identity of the person ordering the change, and an explanation of any change that reduced the amount of the estimate. We're doing this podcast because we believe that our listeners may wonder what goes into creating reviewing and approving an insurance adjuster's damage estimate and the general day in the life of a field adjuster and in the in-house desk adjuster at the insurance company. So what are we to make of these accusations? Are Florida's property insurance companies routinely cheating their customers or is there another explanation? And just how are damage claims and their payouts ultimately decided and by whom? Joining us today on the Florida Insurance Roundup podcast are three experts to help answer all of these questions. From Cape Coral, just a few miles from where Hurricane Ian made landfall, is Sean Kelleher. He's a 16-year veteran in the insurance adjusting business. His first 13 years were working for Farmers Insurance Company as a desk adjuster and then as a catastrophe field adjuster, including large loss and complex claims across the country. For the past three years, he's been an independent adjuster here in Florida working for a variety of adjusting firms and across a vast array of insurance carriers doing both residential and commercial work. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. I appreciate it. Glad to be here. And joining us from the other coast, from Cooper City in Broward County, is Vanessa McGonigal. And she began her career in 2009 as an estimator for a general contractor and five years ago became an independent field adjuster. She's worked, oh, probably a couple of independent insurance adjusting firms. She's just great to chat with. And she's worked hard in the residential and commercial claims arena, including those from Hurricane Ian. Vanessa, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me. Also joining us is one of the most knowledgeable people I know about insurance law and industry practices. Bob Schulte is an attorney with the Monson Law Firm, headquartered in Mandeville, Louisiana, and is part of the firm's Florida office. And he's represented Florida insurance companies for as long as I've known him in homeowners and commercial matters for almost a decade. Those who read my newsletter will know Bob as well from his guest articles on topics such as assignment of benefits reform and resolving claims through the appraisal process. He joins us today from Tampa. It's just great to talk to you again, Bob. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for the invitation, Lisa. I've been a longtime subscriber to the podcast. Looking forward to participating. Thank you. And to have these great three guests, we are going to jump right into it. And I'm going to start with Sean. Sean, you've told me you've worked several hundred Hurricane Ian claims. You know, Hurricane Ian hit late September 2022. And, you know, those claims were with several dozen carriers. And it makes me think that you've probably got a good feel for what's going on. 
And of course, you're from the Ian affected area. So you're not just some out of town adjuster. Have I got that right? Yes, ma'am. You sure do. I'm, I'm adjusting in my neighborhood and my community and, and the surrounding areas. So I'm, I'm pretty familiar with the, uh, with the impact in the area, not just on the insurance side of things, but on the customer side of things as well. That's the most important, Sean. And Vanessa, you're a Florida native from Hollywood. Tell us, you know, your experience with Hurricane Ian claims. What is like a day in the life of Vanessa? Sure. I was deployed out to the West Coast right after Hurricane Ian hit. Um, and I worked out there for about two months. Got it. And, and did hundreds of claims, I'm sure. Hundreds of claims, yes. Got it. So from your standpoint, we'll start with you, Vanessa. Walk us through from the moment you get assigned the claim until, if you can, what you believe and how you've seen the practice happen when the claim check gets deposited or delivered or mailed to the insurance consumer. What's been your point A to point B? My point A to point B is I receive the assignment. I make contact with the insured or representative. I get on site. I assess the property, the damage, all the damage presented to me by the insured or the representative. I photo document that damage. I uh, obtain any repair invoices, anything that is related to this loss, that loss. I obtain that, gather that, capture that for the insurance carrier. I uh, write my report up, label up my photos, prepare an estimate, and that all gets sent over to the insurance carrier. Got it. And we'll talk about what happens after you send it, quote, I'll say, up the food chain. Sean, is yours a similar experience? You know, you work for different independent adjusting firms and some insurance companies. What's your experience when you, from point A to point B in an insurance claim? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Vanessa had it, uh, you know, pretty down pat um, with the, with the exception of some, some firms uh, do have a QA process before it gets to the carrier. Uh, it's just another double check once over. So we send a better product up to the carrier so they can expedite those, uh, those documents that they can review to get their settlements out to the uh, insurance consumer faster. And do you, in your work experience, does the initial report from the estimate origination, if you will, does that change? I mean, it, it can, it's insurance is always fluid. I mean, I mean, I, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'll miss something. We'll need to go back and add something, you know, uh, also with the devastation and the amount of damage of something structural, you can't really even assess that until after the drywall has been removed. So some of these larger losses, more complex situations require reinspections, secondary tertiary investigations or site visits to make sure that all of these different things are, are addressed. So, I mean, every, everything changes, you know, even after the initial settlement payment is made until we get and it right. Until you get it right. Um, and when those changes are made, and do you make those changes yourself? Does the independent adjusting firm, some called, sometimes called the IA firm, do they make those changes? How do, what, how do the changes occur along the way? Some some in the media have used the term manipulate and alter those estimates. And I'm puzzled by those terms, Sean. Can you kind of well, comment I mean, on, on why, why that is? Uh, well, the manipulate and alter side of things, I mean, that's that's one side of the narrative. I mean, I, I tend to look at it more along the lines of, of correct and improve 
um, or, or make it accurate. Um, you know, like I said, sometimes we don't know what the, the coverages even are. You know, we're, we're tasked with, uh, you know, CNO or cause and origin, uh, material identification, repair versus replace recommendations, things like that. Um, you know, some policies have actual cash value only coverage. Some policies have specific exclusions for certain items, um, you know, and, and a lot of times we don't know that. So we see them damaged. We photograph them. We document them. They go in our report and then that's sent up uh, only to be later found out that, you know, unfortunately in those circumstances where they don't have coverage, those items have to be removed or, or uh, taken out of the estimate. And it's not a malicious situation. It, it's just, it has to be removed because they don't have coverage for the policy enforced on the property that is subject to that claim. And over to you, Vanessa, do you, is that a similar experience for you? Yes, that's spot on. So oftentimes when that estimate gets changed or improved, to use your terminology, Sean, do you give permission, Vanessa, to have that change or improvement made to that estimate? No, not at all. So I'm curious, and, and just to, to continue my line of discussion with you, Vanessa, some reports in the, in the media have suggested that field adjusters, those like you that I'll call first responders um, who are capturing those photos and capturing that initial estimate, um, some have asserted that, that they should be given the role of granting permission to make changes to those estimates. And so, Vanessa, do you do you agree with that? Do you think that's accurate? What are your thoughts about that? I, I don't agree with that, and I don't agree with that because, like Sean mentioned, we don't have we don't know all the coverages. We don't know, like you said, we're first responders, so we're getting out there. We don't know what's covered, what's not covered. So, if we're preparing an estimate for all of the damages we see, and we submit that and coverage is not afforded for something written on our estimate, where is it that we should give permission to have that removed? If it's not covered, it's not covered. And Sean, for your purposes, when you do get a call from, let's say, a specific independent adjusting firm or an insurance company for that matter, and they say to you, would, would you like to, you know, we, we need to make some changes to this estimate, you know, are you going to be able to make those? Are you out in the field and you don't have time? How do those changes get made? Or do you not even see it after it leaves your desk and moves on and those changes are made? Well, it's, it's, it's kind of a twofold situation depending on what the changes are, you know, minor technical things like that. They use a tool called collaboration. They make those adjustments behind the scenes. I never see them. Um, and they just get pushed on to make sure that those, you know, are, are, are kept in queue uh, for resolution versus, you know, sitting stagnant, sending back to me, you know, ha having me do those technical changes. And it also, it, it kind of uh, fosters a good relationship with the, the desk adjusters, the QA reviewers, uh, you know, if they see something in the estimate that might potentially be modification or adjustment, I mean, we're adjusters, that's what we do. We adjust these things. So, um, you know, they'll call me and say, Hey, you know, I read your report. I saw your photos. This is what I was thinking. Can you kind of explain your thought process here or justify what it is that you put in your estimate? We'll have a conversation about it. And ultimately, again, you ultimately it's the carrier's determination of coverage. You know, I, I we kind of skipped over it before, but as independent adjusters, we have no claims authority, zero claims authority to extend coverage or, 
um, bind any sort of agreement with a contractor or representative for the insurance claim or for the insured. You know, we're simply observing damage and making recommendations based off of what we see. And then the adjustments that are being made are to bring the estimate accurate or in line with the policy or coverages as, as endorsed. Like, you know, I, I can't say any plainer than that. As an adjuster, I go, I go out and make recommendations to a carrier on what that claim should entail when they get into the coverage review prior to issuing their settlement and, and, and disposition on that claim. Any changes that they make that are for those policy provisions are their prerogative. They, they would never ask me permission because I'm not the one telling them what to do. So you make a great point. You said sometimes they'll call and say, give us the benefit of your thinking about why you included that or why you're thinking that. But that's not a, you don't, you don't expect that. That's not a, that's, that's a nice to have. That's, you know, if you're doing hundreds of thousands of claims, that's certainly not something that would need, need to be done or should be done or has to be done. That's just different independent adjusting quality assurance processes doing different things. Is that correct? Absolutely. And it's all, and it's all in, you know, in, in the effort of, of good faith and making sure that, you know, these are accurate. If, if somebody's questioning something that I wrote or documented or recommended to them, you know, they're taking that extra second to clarify with me before they modify or adjust that estimate to make sure that they are getting the right picture and they're getting it right before they just go, you know, um, you know, removing something or omitting something that I had recommended that, you know, if there's a question, they're looking to clarify versus just immediately strike through and remove. But if a company immediately strikes through or removes, that's their prerogative, probably. Because 100%. It's a cut, yeah, it's the cut and dried issue. And there is no gray area. Like, like, for example, if someone quotes in their original estimate that a pool cage, you know, was destroyed but there's no pool cage coverage, no one needs to call you or Vanessa to ask, give me the benefit of your thinking. They're just going to strike that coverage. Is that how it works? Exactly. Cause that's, that's a, that's a simple situation of, Hey, this was observed damage. It's clearly wind damage. It's clearly related to the loss. I've written an estimate for it cause I'm not aware of it being covered or not. Those all are subject to special limits and there has to be endorsements for those kind of coverages. But if that endorsement doesn't exist, it doesn't matter, you know, anything in between. It's just not a covered item. So it comes off the estimate. I really appreciate that, Sean and Vanessa. I want to uh, talk to Bob for just a bit. Bob, I was in a hearing in December in the legislature um, where three adjusters uh, addressed the insurance committee and they were very concerned about, you know, using the terms altering and manipulating insurance claims. And I think we've heard today that you just, you're just you changing and improving the estimate. You're not manipulating it. And I guess my question for you, Bob, is you've worked through one-way attorney fee shenanigans, assignment of benefit contracts, you know, claim filing, handling, every, done everything. What are your thoughts about if our laws are strong enough to protect consumers being both working for insurance companies and looking at hundreds and thousands of policies, you know, in your career? Well, some of the uh, best advice I ever got was before I was an attorney, when I was going into law school, I had a summer job where I worked for an attorney. And he told me that the first thing that he does is he calls back to that Paul Newman movie, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And the quote in that movie is, who are these guys? Who are those guys? And that's something that I think is 
should always be the first question that you have. You always have to consider the source. And if you're correct that it was during the December uh, 13th that that testimony was given before the legislature, but in the weeks ahead of that, there was a YouTube video featuring these same folks, and it's a YouTube channel. And if you look at the description of that YouTube channel, even today, it says, as part of the description, we're politically involved, we're appropriate to help consumers maintain the ability to hire professional and legal representation. And so it should be no surprise that it seems like there's a agenda here. And maybe there's a misunderstanding of what's going on. And I'm glad that Sean and Vanessa are helping give their perspective to give a better explanation for what's going on and what has happened. So I do think that what's happened here is some give and take by the legislature. Um, more transparency is part of what the new process is with the new laws that have come out and that have been signed by Governor DeSantis. And I think that it's definitely something that we'll be looking to see how it uh, goes forward. Um, is it just right? Is it too far? Is it not enough? Um, we just have to wait and see while these things uh, work their way through the legal system. You know, as I listen to you, Bob, uh, talking about the, these are three adjusters who believe in, in their mission and, you know, have an opinion. And we all live in America and can have an opinion. I saw one of them quoted saying that out of, you know, 40 some odd, estimates that they did several almost all of them were changed and then the article went on to say solely for the purpose of you know undercutting what an insurance company pays a claim and in it and i was you know would love to have had a conversation about as we've heard today estimates are changed and improved based on the coverage determination uh there was an actual one of the stories that i saw in the media talked about a consumer that was upset because he had just received a small check and when we did some deeper dive into that actual claim and the policy coverage, uh, the gentleman had actual cash value on the roof and not replacement costs. So that's why he got paid for a 20-year-old roof on an actual cash value basis. So uh, back to you, Vanessa, when you are in the field and you've got any, probably in any one day, as many as what, 15 or 20 claims in a day, what's your typical day full of claims? Sure. For Hurricane Ian, it could mm -hmm. it could run up to about 15 a day. And so you start early in the morning and you finish late at night. And those 15 claims that you did the day before, you, you do your best to get those reports out, send them up the food chain. And, you know, you may or may not hear. Is that correct? You, there's no way you can physically possibly be engaged in every single claim that is improved or changed. Correct? That is correct. That is correct. And when we talk about the collaboration tool, Sean, in the some of the estimating platforms, I've looked at that feature and there's a section in the collaboration tool that says that the estimate originator, you know, shall be, quote, looped in, you know, if you will, if there's any changes that are made. That to me is an aspirational goal. And I'm, I bet there's times when that doesn't happen. Can you talk about some of that oversight or even, you know, mistakes that are made by either the uh, QA system and the independent adjusting firm or the company for that matter? Well, as far as the tool is concerned uh, with one of the, uh, the major estimating platform that we all use primarily, um, there's, there's always a, a notice put into that claim that the collaboration tool has been utilized. Um, it doesn't always list what was changed, but there, I mean, there are options. I can go in there and look at it if I want to, but then again, it, it comes back to 
you know, justification to even do that. You know, that's just not my role. If it's changed, as you say, you know, as it goes up the food chain for whatever reason, um, to modify coverage based off of the coverage review, um, to adjust a claim based off of uh, depreciation or, or, you know, something even as technical as an opening statement. I'm not always made aware of that uh, because I don't need to be. Um, but if, if it's a major change or something that it's, it's going to significantly impact the ultimate settlement that is being issued, oftentimes that is where you'll get the notification. But the, the, the small minute changes that keep these things moving forward um, are nothing that I go back and look at. And that's by design. It's just, it's impossible for me to go back and review every change that's made to an estimate that I've written in order to get it to a point of, of settlement or disposition. So now I'm going to ask you two a tough question. There are those in the marketplace that say that folks that are 1099 adjusters often are paid as a percentage of a claim. And I'm not saying you would or would not. I believe y'all are extremely good at your profession. You have no you know, ill will about wanting to inflate a claim because you're paid a percentage of the claim. Do you believe that there are brethren and sisters in the insurance claims adjusting field that know that the higher the claim amount that they estimate, the more they're going to get paid? Does that happen, Vanessa? I do believe that there there could be some uh, fellow 1099 field adjusters that 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 think about that and, and do that. It, it is possible, yes. Sean, have you seen it in your three decades doing this? Yeah, I'll be a little bit more bold than Vanessa. The answer is absolutely yes. Um, I do reinspections quite often uh, for estimates that are almost rejected because of the way that they are written. Um, you know, if I can take a picture of it and if I can document it, I will include it in my estimate and let the let the uh, the desk adjuster, the carrier, do their coverage review and make their decision. But oftentimes, when the motivation is based off of a percentage or a, a tier billing or, or something like that, you know, some adjusters are unscrupulous enough to write for increased or, or or padded damages that are just not supported. So you know, just because the adjuster wrote an estimate that's a hundred thousand dollars does not mean that that hundred thousand dollar estimate is supported. And if on down the line somebody disagrees with that adjuster, that is cause for you know stopping this and and either sending it out for a reinspection or modifying it to bring it in line with what is reasonable for indemnification of that loss. Um, and you know that could be some of the reasoning in these other issues and cases that are being brought up. You know, we, I, I haven't seen them personally, but if the estimate was written inaccurately, by all means, it needs to be changed and adjusted to make it accurate, even if it does reduce that adjuster's estimate. As I said, the two of you are extremely professional and I would expect nothing less. So Bob, I'm going to round this out with you. Here's what we've heard today. We've heard that these two very distinguished field adjusters they're very seasoned in their craft. They take it very seriously what they do. They understand their role, their limitations, and what they do. And they also said, we're doing 15 claims or more a day, and we don't have time to go and handhold or worry if someone's changing, improving. We've just got to believe in the system that these claims are going to get through as quickly as possible and move on. In your professional opinion, Bob, when you hear some of the media reports about insurance companies and independent adjusting firms, you know, a lot of this, if I may say so, 
are the independent adjusting firms that are using their quality assurance process. It's not the insurance companies that are, you know, as we heard, it goes from the field into the independent adjusting firm, into a quality assurance process at the firm, and then to the insurance company. What's been your experience, Bob? Do you see that this can and will continue to work? It obviously, we all want to improve it, but what's been your experience and how do we change this narrative so that the general public understands that great professionals like Sean and Vanessa, they don't manipulate and alter. They want the claim to be as, as correct as possible based on the coverage. Bob? I think that what would help people is to understand how it's not just one person that makes the decision and that it's the insurance company that's making the decision. And the insurance company has their desk adjusters and the desk adjusters, their role is they're kind of like if you're doing the drive through at the bank and you're doing a deposit and they have that tube that comes through the vacuum system and then you put your check or whatever in it and then it goes up to the person behind the glass. So when the field adjuster is preparing their reports and their estimates, it goes inside of that vacuum tube and it goes up to the person behind the glass. They take it, they put it and they consider it. And then maybe before that person came in there, somebody else put their own thing inside the tube and sent it in. That might be something like a recorded statement from the insured. That might be an opinion from an engineer that also did an inspection. Uh, a very simple example of something that could happen that could change would be perhaps the field adjuster goes to the house after a hurricane, he sees a broken window, he writes it as debris damage. But that adjuster doesn't know that the insured said in a recorded statement that, well, actually that happened two weeks before the storm because little Billy down the street, he did that with a baseball. And so the desk adjuster says, well, we're just going to omit that broken window because it clearly wasn't damaged from the hurricane based on what the insured told us. So what the public needs to understand is that the field adjusters, what they're doing is only part of the process, and they only are privy to the different pieces of the puzzle that they're submitting to the insurance company, whereas the insurance company is putting together all of the pieces of the puzzle to arrive at a fair evaluation of the claim pursuant to the policy. Well said, Bob. So I really want to thank Sean. You just work so hard to ply your craft be good at what you do. Great reputation. You're a veteran in this. You're living in Cape Coral. And I want to thank you for joining us today, Sean. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me and giving me the opportunity to like explain some of these things and 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 get some of this out there on, on how insurance actually works versus just this this grapevine toxic, you know, speak in the background that just insurance companies are out here to get everybody. Cause that's just absolutely not the case. And Vanessa, I call you my field adjuster extraordinaire and I appreciate you coming on and being a part of this. And I wish you well as you continue to work your fingers to the bone out there in the field. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. And, and of course, Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much, Lisa. Folks, we did this podcast because we believe our listeners wonder what goes into creating and reviewing and, and improving or approving an insurance adjuster's damage estimate. I wanted all of you to hear what it's like in the general day that a field adjuster spends and how they do what they do. And I also like our listeners to understand the difference in what an in-house desk adjuster does. We hear that term often, field adjuster, desk adjuster. These are two independent processes. I call it a check and balance. And that check and balance is working. And 
when we read media reports that it's not, it's very concerning. But I think we've gotten a terrific education today with our wonderful guests. So as Bob said, there's a lot of moving parts to property insurance and these property insurance claims with multiple interactions among multiple parties. So there's just no such thing as a closed claim unless it reaches a statute of limitations. You know, when a consumer calls an insurance company, that claim can be re reopened if there's additional damage discovered, you know, or any other material changes. And for those of you listening that are not, you know, a part of the claims adjusting process and you want to have more information about your claim, call your insurance company. They've got people on standby that want to talk to you. There's too much at stake for you not to do that. I guess you heard in my comments today that I'm just very puzzled about why these field adjusters, these three, you know, they don't seem to acknowledge that claim estimates are exactly that. They're an estimate. They're supposed to change for continual improvement based on the coverage purchased by the policyholder from their insurance agent. And even more comical to me is that these adjusters as 1099 contractors believe they should be giving permission to make these improvements to these estimates. Most people in the 1099 contractor world are independent contractors. And so as such, they contribute, but they're not decision makers. If you think about it, out of the 710,000 Hurricane Ian claims, I think the aggregate number of those having problems, according to the Department of Financial Services statistics, is very, very small. Less than 1% is the number that I'm hearing. And less than 20 or so questionable claims by these three adjusters are the recent focus of so much of the media's attention. We're missing the forest for the trees. Over 700,000 claims, and most, if not all, are handled expeditiously and efficiently. So I oversaw the Department of Financial Services Consumer Helpline in the early 1990s, and it is known throughout the country for successfully opening up the communication lines between the insurance companies and consumers. It's just so more effective than battling these issues out in the press. And speaking of the press, I want to give a great shout out to our CFO, Jimmy Petronas, because he recently cautioned a reporter and the readers of that newspaper and said, there's two sides to every story. You're correct, CFO Petronas. You're absolutely correct. Today in our podcast show notes, we'll have a link to the various bills that we call insurance reform bills and reports and information and a summary of this conversation. I often say we take the notes so that you don't have to. And we want you to like this podcast, if you wouldn't mind doing that, and share it with your colleagues and friends on your own social media platforms and other channels. Those of you listening to this podcast must help change this narrative because I believe it is patently wrong. The terms manipulate and alter are vastly different than what actually happens, which is improve and change an estimate. I'd like to hear what you think about this. I'd like you to call our on-air number at 850-388-8002. That's 
388-8002 or email me at Lisa Miller, all one word at lisamillerassociates.com. I really want to hear your feedback, whether you agree or disagree. That's part of us being American, that we can have our opinions about this. And I look forward to engaging you about it. At our firm, and I'm very proud of the Lisa Miller Associates Group, we've got a great passion for policy and client success. I'm Lisa Miller. I'll see you on the trail. Thanks for listening. This has been Lisa Miller and Associates Florida Insurance Roundup, your podcast on the people, issues, and regulations shaping Florida's insurance market. For more information on today's program, please visit us on the web at www.lisamillerassociates.com.